Awesome. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. We are continuing our series called Summer in the Psalms. You can open up your Bible or your app, or if you brought a scroll with you, we'll be in Psalm chapter 13 today, however you have the word of the Lord in front of you. Our theme verse for today is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, and it just says this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to stop and go, how is this true? I don't, like in my life, when I think about waiting, I don't think about this. I don't think about getting stronger. I think for us, the idea of waiting for anything in the world that we are currently residing in is extremely difficult. In fact, I was joking with somebody after the first service. They said, I think I spend more time thinking about how I can get done with a task faster than I do with what the task actually involves me doing. I was talking with somebody this week and they said that the idea that I would pick the longest line in the grocery store is akin to physical torture to me. I really believe the idea of waiting at any point in time has been difficult, but I believe right now especially It's hard. See, when we have a promise from God that is currently unfulfilled, it can feel like unrelenting poison coursing through our veins, affecting everything we feel, think, and do. And yet at the same time, if we've ever had a promise from God fulfilled in our life, it feels like the most legendary party to have ever existed. Seasons of waiting may be the most difficult, excruciating times that we encounter in this life, and yet they also provide an opportunity like nothing else for us to receive strength from our Father. Today in Psalm 13, I believe that this psalm was written by David because it says it, and I believe it is also closely connected to Psalm 12 because it's directly after it. I know, you know, seminary school, it does help you. (laughs) But if you read Psalm 12, it speaks of the Lord seeing the suffering of his people who have been harmed through violent acts by an enemy people. And David is voicing that the people of God are becoming marginalized and are suffering. But at the end of that Psalm, David is strengthened knowing that God will come through and protect his people. Ends on a high note. And then you get to Psalm 13 and you realize very quickly, God hasn't come through yet. And so you've got David waiting on the answer to God's promise that he got to at the end of Psalm 12. Psalm 13 is his prayer of waiting. So he writes this as a prayer to God as he waits for him to come through. How can we learn to gain strength in our waiting rather than shrivel while we wait? 
First, you'll see this, waiting forms me. Waiting forms me. Verse one, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? David asked the question, how long, four separate times in these first two verses. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think David's attitude is in asking these questions? You gotta say it loud. I'm hard of hearing. Self-pity, frustrated, impatient, maybe some anger. Sometimes we read our own emotions into these things, right? Let me ask you this. If I were to say to you that his questions have to do with a lack of faith that God's gonna answer, what would you say, yes or no? I'd say no. He never says, God, you're not coming through. He just says, how long is this gonna take? How long is this gonna take? Now, his questions are raw. Like, you're getting David's raw emotions here, right? Like, he's using strong language in his prayer to God. In fact, I grew up in the church. And when I look back through all the public prayers I've ever heard, which has got to be thousands, or in the small groups that I've been a part of, I've never heard anyone pray out loud, God, are you paying attention to what is happening? How long will you forget me? How long will you sit there and do nothing? I don't know about you, I've never heard anybody pray that out loud. And yet David writes this prayer for us as a model for us to understand that when we come to God in prayer, we must come bearing who we are to God honestly. I think sometimes when we pray, we kind of like clean everything up before we make our ask. When on the inside, we may be torn apart, sort of what like David says, you know, he's being torn apart. Are you paying attention to me? How long is this gonna take? You know, if you said that in a prayer circle, you know, somebody's probably gonna open their eyes when their eyes might be supposed to be closed. They're gonna look at you weird. Now, your eyes are closed, so you're not gonna see them, but that might happen. The reality is, we oftentimes clean ourselves up, even in our prayer life before God. But David is expressing to God how waiting on a promise from God is affecting him personally. I wanna be clear here. There is a stark difference between waiting and whining. Whining is completely detached to promises, truths from God. Whining is also directed towards no one. Waiting in our prayers, raw as our heart may feel, is directed towards God's heart. Now, I want you to notice that the questions he asks line up directly with God's agenda and not necessarily David's. Now, if you know the backstory, David was a shepherd boy and he was anointed by God to be the next king. And at this point in time, we believe he's not king yet. And so he knows if he dies, God's plan 
which was for him to be the king of Israel would be thwarted. You know, David's probably in this place of going like, I didn't, I didn't pick this. In fact, I wasn't even in the house. I wasn't even in the house when the prophet showed up. I'm taking care of sheep. Somebody had to come and get me. I know for certain this is not my plan. I know for certain that God chose me for this. And so he's, he's crying out to God based on God's agenda. God has a purpose for his people. God has a purpose for David for his people. But he is attempting to move the very heart of God. Do we pray this way? David's prayers are bold, courageous, strong. Maybe they would cause him shame if someone heard him pray these things. See, I I think about this when I think about my kids. Now, my youngest child is going to have a birthday at the end of this month, so I do what any great parent does. And I look at him and I ask, hey, what do you want for your birthday? Low bar for being a great parent, right? But I'm expecting, you know, some crazy answer. If, you, if you've ever met my youngest, like he is like personality to a hundred. Like he is just, he can't go in a room and not be the brightest light in the room. Like it's, it really is amazing. And so I said to him, what do you want for your birthday? And without hesitation, without any doubt, without any concern of what this is going to take, he said, I want an invisibility cloak. which would be sad for me personally, because if there's ever a person who doesn't need an invisibility cloak, it would be him. I want to see everything this child does. But when he said that, there was no like thought of physics, economics, how much time dad would have to take to figure all this out. There's none of that. There was just, you are my dad. You asked me what I wanted. Here's exactly what I want. He asked based on the understanding of the reliability and goodness of his parents. And even though we would not put ourselves ever on the cover of any parenting magazine, how much more does our father want to answer the prayers of his children? Even more than that, how much more does God want to do exactly what he's promised? It reminds me of this quote from Andrew Murray, who's one of the OGs on prayer. Here's what he says. Beware in your prayer above everything. I just want you to pay attention to this, okay? He says, literally of all of the things to beware of in your prayer life, Be most aware of limiting God. Not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. In other words, when we approach God in prayer, when we clean ourselves up and we limit who God is and what he can do, our prayers sound a lot like what our prayers sound like today. But David is not limiting God. David's faith in God, fulfilling the promise that God has made to protect his people is never ever shaken. There is no doubt in David in asking what he's asking. 
In fact, it is almost as if David is so sure that God can be trusted with his word that it drives the intensity in his prayer life up to 100. David is using his prayers to try and appeal to the heart of a good father who is capable of anything. You know, I think that our prayers are often too tame, too concerned with God maybe saying no, that we try and couch everything instead of boldly asking for what it is that we need to ask for. Now, I want to ask you a question. As you think about the amount of time you have spent with your words this week, which is a lot based on the average of human beings, would you say you spent more words in prayer to God this week or more words complaining? It's tough. You know, I I just think if we could reverse the ratio from complaint to prayer, like instead of if we complained about how bad the world is, like we prayed that out of the world, I just wonder what the world would look like. Like I wonder what it would look like if instead of complaining about where our generation is going and the, the world that we live in, if we spent more time praying to God, God changed this place that we live in. God, come quickly. Lord, do what you promised to do. I just wonder what it would look like. Our complaints kind of go out into the air, but our prayers go directly to God's heart. What would our world look like if that's how we prayed? See, we have a loving father who has promised a great deal to us as his children. But I think if you spend a lot of time with Christians, it's, it's a lot of like what we don't have a lot of what's not right. And yet God has completely altered the fabric of time and space to give you a name in the book of life, to give you an inheritance, to adopt you into his family, to give you peace beyond comprehension, to give you faith and joy. And he's waiting for you to come to him with your requests. Now, some of you might be struggling because you don't even have a promise to grab onto. Man, I just want to encourage you, challenge you, get one. There's plenty in there. Spend some time in his word. Here's a few. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Isaiah 43, 2, James 1, 5, 1 John 1, 9. Forgiveness, strength, wisdom contained in those promises that if we ask, God will give to us. Some of you might be struggling instead, however, because you do have a promise, but the weight has been too much weight to bear. Maybe like David, you're asking God for more strength to overcome this burden as you wait on God to fulfill his promise. But remember this, you gain something in a season of waiting that you cannot gain in any other season in your life. Waiting forms us. Second, waiting forces wrestling. Waiting forces wrestling. Verse three, turn and answer me, O Lord my God. 
Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Waiting can feel like a battle. And it should. I think sometimes our expectation is that anytime we receive a word from the Lord, we get a little bit of revelation. We want exactly what he showed to us right now. But this is the essence of what our faith is. It's believing something we can't currently see. It's hoping in something that may not actually currently in this moment in time exist. And it is trusting that God can make it so. When we seek to avoid waiting in our life, we are actually seeking to avoid exercising our faith. John Calvin put it this way. There is no place for faith if we expect God to fulfill immediately what he promises. Now, if you've got kids, you know this. Part of your job as a parent is to teach your children to wait. Wait for snacks. Wait for vacation. Wait for a few more miles until we get to the destination. Your job as a parent is to teach your child not everything comes immediately. In fact, sometimes the best things in life are worth waiting for. At my house, I don't know if you help disciple your children in this way, but we like to use songs at my house. So every so often, if you hear or my children hear the phrase, you don't always get what you want, they will start singing You don't always get what you want, but you can try sometimes and you just might find you'll get what you need. My kids will sing it. And I think it would be good for us to remember that. David asked for three things in these two verses. The first ask, consider, take note, turn your face towards me. Pay attention, God, to what is happening to me and your people. The second thing that David asked of the Lord is to answer me, do something, act. Don't sit on the sidelines, be present in this situation. And the third thing that David asked, which I love this translation, is to restore the sparkle to his eyes. If you don't come through, I'll die. Now, we've probably all prayed that. It may have been the time that you lost your keys or the time that you're going to be late to a meeting. But David would have actually physically perished if God did not come through at the hands of an enemy bent on killing him. And David is asking in the midst of this waiting, give me favor, restore my strength, give me the vitality of life. Don't let me be like the people who fast and look awful. Let me in the midst of my struggle look like everything's fine. So I'm gonna ask you these questions because sometimes we'll get to these things and we'll go, David feels a little out of line here. Feels like he's maybe a little too bold. Like 
Like back it up a little bit. Let me ask you these questions in reverse form to see if what David is asking is an okay thing to ask. Let me ask you. Does God see everything, especially when it comes to his people, the church? Is God active in our world, not just a bystander? Is he moving, shaking, doing things to affect how this place operates? Does God protect his people, especially if there is still a plan for their lives here on earth? These questions seem like non-negotiable, easy answers when it comes to our prayers. God absolutely is affirmatively involved in all these things. So David is fine in praying these, but he is wrestling with God to answer him now. These questions can easily seem like complaints, but all of them speak to God's character and who he is asking him to be exactly who God reveals himself to be, a loving father concerned with his people. But I'll be honest with you, in our wrestling, we sometimes thumb wrestle with God. You know what thumb wrestling is? This is what children do when they realize there's a physical limitation in fighting with their dad. They wanna thumb wrestle, thinking somehow there's more strength in their thumb than in their whole body, right? But really they're doing it because the circumstances of losing with their thumb don't seem as large as if they were to utilize their whole body. So they just go, let's let's just thumb wrestle. And that's what we do with God. We have this big giant thing affecting us personally and rather than fully invest ourselves in wrestling with God, what do we do? We thumb wrestle. We don't go all in. We don't come off the turnbuckle with as much speed trying to clothesline God to get what we want. We don't come flying off the top rope knowing that if this doesn't happen, we'll somehow get injured. We thumb wrestle with him. And I don't know if it's the self-protective nature of our heart. I don't know if it's wanting to mitigate any risk in God saying no. but we like to put our prayers with God, our wrestling with him in a nice little box and present it to him. But inside we're in turmoil and we're hurting. But David is simply asking God to do what he's already promised to do. Some of you in this room might desperately need an answer from God. But how does your desperation to hear an answer equate to a change in behavior? If you've ever seen a kid who really wants to go to a restaurant because the restaurant that you have chosen doesn't fit their dietary requirements, I'm sure they politely ask you one time and one time only if we could please go to the place that they would like to go to. Is that how your children act in that situation? No, I'm asking you, is, is that how your children act? Okay, good. I was concerned a little bit that I was only parenting the crazy ones. No, my children immediately say exactly where they want to go and they will ask a hundred million times, hoping that they will annoy me so much that they will break my will. That's what they do. That's what good children do. They are resting on your love for them is greater than your desire for that restaurant. 
and they will manipulate, they will argue, they will beg, they will bribe to get what they want. They go all in when they ask their parents for something. And I think we kind of hurt them a little bit because we tell them, you know, it's not the right way to ask or, you know, you've asked me that a hundred times. And, and yet the parable that Jesus gives us for prayer is of a woman in the middle of the night going over to her neighbor's house and annoying them in the middle of the night, not leaving, not going anywhere until she gets exactly what she needs. And then Jesus says, pray like that. It's shocking, honestly. It sounds like if you were to sum it up in one statement that Jesus is saying, I want you to annoy me as much as possible in your prayer life. And we sometimes seek to do the opposite. We don't wanna be annoying to God. And yet God told us, that's what I want. I want you to ask. It reminds me of a story of a pastor friend of mine when he was a teenager. He was a high schooler and he was feeling this sense that maybe God is calling him into full-time ministry. And so he goes to this camp and he says, God, I am not leaving this place tonight. I'm not leaving this altar tonight until you tell me 100% if I'm supposed to go into full-time ministry or not. And so he stayed at that altar for an hour and a half Everyone left, including the youth pastors. And he finally heard from God, clearly, in a way that maybe no one else would have understood, but he heard. See, the scriptures teach us that until we seek God with everything that's in us, that's when we find him. I also want to encourage you with this. Don't let a dream that is from God die. Don't let a dream that is from God die. Sometimes we have to let our own dreams die. But if God has given you a picture, a promise, don't let that die. Often in those situations where we've been disappointed or feel like, the wait has been too long, the first step we really need to take is to wrestle with our own hearts. We need to figure out, am I where I'm supposed to be in this? Is my heart in the right place? Some of you, you are waiting on something from God and your emotions may be on life support today. Your prayer might be the same of David's, that he would turn his face towards you, shine his face upon you and restore the sparkle to your eyes. There's a battle inside of us that we can let fear and despair replace faith in our waiting. And we can't do it. We can't do it. Let me encourage you, even if you feel like your faith is so feeble and weak, let me encourage you with something. It is. And yet, Jesus said, all you need is a little seed of faith. And if you say to that mountain, move, that mountain's going to move. Lastly, waiting also fuels my worship. Fuels my worship. 
verse five and six. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Wait a minute, wait a minute, JC. You just said God hasn't come through yet. And yet David has said, you have, past tense, rescued me. What does that mean? It means David has already settled. Rescue's coming. It's done. This is not a, is this going to happen or not? And his worship is aligning his heart to where it should be. His words lead his heart. And then he says this, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David's worship isn't wishful thinking. No, he's settled. His worship comes from a confident hope that God can do exactly what he said, no matter the circumstances. David is assured by his faith that God will fulfill his promise to him and the people of Israel. How can he sing when his heart hurts? I would advocate that that is actually the most important time for us to sing. In fact, I'm, you know, I've been prepping to preach this all week and uh, it is a hard thing for me. Um, it's hard for me to preach this because I look at this room and this room is a place where I have experienced this very thing. Over there, when my family was dealing with a health issue, I remember singing I remember when my youngest son, we thought we would not be able to adopt him. I remember being at the top of those risers, begging God, begging God to fix this. And the circumstances don't line up with who I know God to be. And so you sing. And if you're me, you sing horrible and you sing loud. Obnoxiously so. Because you have got to get your heart in the right spot. Some of you in this room have experienced this as well. You get a diagnosis. You receive heartbreaking news. Students, your college letter that you really wanted didn't come through. You don't get the job. Your kid seems like they're beyond the reach of God. You've lost a loved one. In these moments of crisis, we've got to sing our hearts to the right place. It's why we sing every week. We sing every week to train our hearts to sing, to remind us of what's true, to sing loud even when it doesn't feel true. We sing words that resonate not only with our heart, but with God's. And we sing them as if they are always evident. You know, when the Israelites went to battle, you know who was on the front lines? The worship leaders. You know, after they marched around the city of Jericho, you know how they signaled the defeat? They blew horns. There is something deeply connected in us 
that our praise and worship, ability to sing, ability to be connected to music, oriented towards God, changes us. It does. It changes us. In fact, the scriptures describe it in this way. Did you know that the very praises of the people of God, our lives, our hearts presented to God in spirit and in truth, did you know that that is the very center point of the dwelling of God himself? Psalm 22, three says this, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Y'all ever seen a king's throne? They're pretty sweet. Sometimes gaudy, but sweet. But then oftentimes those same kings, when you compare their throne to the living conditions of that king's people, there is a stark and dramatic difference. Where's God's throne? On the praises, the testimony of the people of God. That is where he dwells. He's not disconnected. He is not hiding his eyes from your life. He is most clearly dwelling in your place of deepest struggle. Your king is keenly aware of where your heart is. He knows your heart. He is enthroned in your place of praise. So why do we sing? We sing to connect with our king. And while any king can make a declaration and things may or may not happen, our king's declarations are foolproof. He always comes through. He always does what he says. And everything will culminate in the glory of his kingdom. And our king is greatly to be praised. And so when you share a testimony, you're not just sharing words to encourage others. You are sharing the very picture of who God is himself with other people. When you struggle and you share openly in your groups or in your family with where your heart is in connection with God and those people join you in praying that God would change things and then he comes through, that is the very throne upon which God sits and it is sweet and it is gaudy as I will get out. When God comes through, it is the greatest reason for celebration that exists on the planet earth. Our lives, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength should be the most incredible throne ever built for our King, the Lord. God sits on his throne of our worship. But worship is not just the songs that we sing. One pastor puts it like this. He says, worship can only truly express joy sorrow, hope, faith, and love if it is firmly rooted in the actual lives and experience of the people who are worshiping. In other words, God's throne must be connected to your life, every single part of it. And when the world looks at what kind of king we serve, they should look exactly at our lives, all of it not just the successes, but the sorrow, the pain, the heartache, 
and the joy. Who is it that we worship? What is it that we are singing about? Hebrews 9, 28 says it this way. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all those who eagerly are waiting on him. Christ was offered for us once and for all as a sacrifice of our sin. And he is coming again to bring salvation. He is coming again to bring the culmination. He is coming again to enter in and fully save us. Today, you'll have two opportunities to worship together before we close. First, we're gonna participate in the Lord's Supper together. So if you could take out the elements. If you did not receive the elements when you came in, if you could please raise your hand boldly, unashamedly, I need the elements. We're bringing them to you. We will fulfill our promise. You can take out your bread. When Jesus joined his disciples for the last supper that he would have for them before he was crucified, he gave us two pictures of this sacrifice that we talked about in Hebrews chapter nine. The first, the bread is a symbol of his body broken on our behalf. Matthew 26, 26 says this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take this and eat it. This is my body broken for you. Eat the bread. Take out your cup. The drink is to symbolize Jesus' blood shed on our behalf. His blood that once and for all cleanses us from sin, that we will never need to make another sacrifice. In accepting this, we have forgiveness of our sins once and for all. Verse 27 says this. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Go ahead and drink. Our last and final way to respond is to respond in the same exact way that Jesus responded with his disciples at the end of their supper by singing together in a hymn. Verse 30 says, then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Worship is not meant for us to be moments of singing songs. Worship is meant to be our very heartbeat as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I wanna encourage you today to sing and to sing loud. Sing as if what you're singing is so true. Sing as if what you are singing about is what you want to happen to your very heart. 
If you're feeling a little lethargic in your faith today, sing to strengthen your faith. Sing your heart to the right place. I want you to stand up and sing together, praising God for his goodness towards us.